0: Neuro NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology podcast featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Janssen, neurofeedback legend, Jake Unkleman, and author of Neurofeedback in the Treatment of Developmental Trauma, C. Byrne Fisher. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. This is an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. My name is Pete, and today we have an awesome topic, sleep. <sighs> But before we get to our topic, we've got to pay the bills. Mary Tracy's Neurotraining Strategies offers a higher standard of EEG, QEG education to EEG clinicians, technicians, and neurofeedback practitioners with convenient online BCIA and QEEG certified didactic courses. We love Mary Tracy. All right, three things our listeners and viewers can do to help us spread the word of neurofeedback. Number one, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you like the video, please like it and click the little bell that says, hey, please notify me when new podcasts come out. That little action there will turn three people into 3,000 learning about neurofeedback. Number two, please give us a review on whatever platform you listen to. Like on Apple, you give us five stars or we'll take four and a half. And if you have the means, number three, please support us on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. There are different levels in which you can support, whether you're a mom or dad or a cl- clinician. There's even an option where you can have your own Q&A with the Jay Gunkelman. This support helps us improve the quality of our content. Talk to me about sleep. Why is it important?
1: Well, try to get along without it sometime. Um, if, if you want to be totally crazy, I mean, psychiatrically disturbed, miss three or four nights of sleep in a row and your REM content is going to be present during the day. And REM is pretty crazy stuff sometimes. Uh, 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 Sleep is required. Uh, uh, If you don't sleep, you don't get growth hormone, which is produced by your pituitary during slow-wave sleep, assuming you have a pituitary. Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't have one I cheat. Uh, I actually have to inject growth hormone, uh, so um, my sleep is actually almost all REM. I don't really get slow wave sleep, which is not an uncommon pattern for adults. But uh, 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 you know, I, I, I'm just not you know having had brain surgery. The mechanism for sleep is goofy, so uh, I I kind of get around the requirement for slow wave sleep by taking it uh, through a needle instead of making it myself, because I don't have a pituitary. But you, you also need REM sleep. Uh, a slow of sleep, you grow connections. You also recover from the wear and tear of the day on a cellular level, but you grow new connections in the brain. Dendritic sprouts, uh, the sprouts you know, lengthen, you make new connections. Those connections are potentially long-term potentiated memories if you play REM You know, REM state allows you to play back experiences of the day through those connections and long-term potentiate them. So if you did neurofeedback today and you learned two or three little mental tricks that kind of made things work for you, are you going to remember those tomorrow? Uh, Did you really learn what you think you learned today? Are you going to have it tomorrow? Is it long-term potentiated or was this a short-term memory that's volatile? And, and is gone. So, sleep is required for learning curves. Uh, they, they've identified the lack of sleep as an issue with therapies, including TMS. And you think, well, TMS—you're uh, you're blasting the brain with a big magnet—and how could sleep you know, being disturbed mess that up? Well, apparently, there's some kind of learning as well. Martin Arns showed that insomnia. Uh, severe insomnia will eliminate the ability uh, to have um, uh, the long-term potentiation of TMS. Uh, The therapy doesn't work uh, for OCD if you aren't sleeping. If you treat the sleep disorder, at that point, the TMS works. So uh, uh, we need to pay attention to sleep. Now, Pittsburgh Sleep Inventory is uh, a free, uh, brief uh, screening it's useful. Uh, if you're not inquiring about sleep on your clients, uh, you should. And it's a quick, short self-report that will flag you if there's a sleep issue. Uh, so if you're not focused on it, it's it's a way to get kind of caught. Um, you know, oh, there's an issue with sleep. Uh, there are EEG predictors of insomnia. Uh, we actually published a paper on beta spindles at CZ that were seen seeing as insomnia as the strongest correlation independent of the DSM this was a research domain criteria paper. And uh, we did that in 2015. So um, that there's biomarkers that predict that you have insomnia and the EEG is absolutely clear in identifying sleep stages. If you go to a sleep lab, they don't wake you up and ask you if you're sleeping. They tell you you're asleep based on your EEG and, and other signals as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's not some, uh, big mystery. It's, it's easily identifiable. There's also lots and lots of, uh, issues uh, with respect to, uh, sleep. Let, let's, um, let's do a quick screen share here. Uh, um, the map on the left is the incidence of ADD, ADHD in each state in the United States. And you'll notice the there's a higher percentage, a fairly significantly higher percentage, almost 10% higher in the uh, south and east. The desert southwest has, uh, again, about a 10% lower incidence. Now, Minnesota defines it differently. They uh, The two states kind of stand out because they define it a bit differently but the desert southwest stands out because of a change in the area. The map on the right is a photovoltaic map, the solar intensity in the United States. Bright light like this actually treats a form of sleep disorder. Delayed circadian rhythm. Some people feel it as a seasonal affective disorder, but it's a circadian rhythm issue. And if you have that, uh, kind, kind of a, a sleep disturbance you, you basically have a, a, a different uh, uh, issue uh, there's actually 25 to 50 percent of the kids that have add actually have an underlying sleep problem and uh, the sleep problems include a primary disorder of vigilance which is it's kind of like narcolepsy without a cataplexy they just can't really stay awake uh, if you sit them down in a chair in school, they they doze off into a drowsy state and look very inattentive. Um, you also have circadian rhythm issues, which is what we just mentioned. Uh, if you have difficulty with your sleep, you can't fall asleep easily. And once you're asleep, it's hard to wake you up in the morning. You have a delay in your rhythm and uh, you, you would naturally fall asleep late and sleep in but that's not possible in modern times. You've got to get up on an alarm clock and get to work or school. Um, And there's actually people that suggest starting school a bit later for kids is a positive thing. Uh, There's a a disorder of breathing, which can uh, obviously give you an apnea. uh, And that disorder of breathing gets you drowsiness during the day, a disorder of excessive sleepiness. Uh, You can have a restless leg syndrome and there's some people that actually have epileptiform content in their sleep. It's called ESES, Electrographic Status Epilepticus of Sleep. So there are sleep disorders that mimic ADD. If you treat the sleep disorder, their ADD gets better. So uh, sleep's an issue uh, that we need to pay attention to for the ADD, ADHD population. And uh, finally, uh, the, the one... Uh, other uh, thing that I would suggest uh, is that the theta-beta ratio has fallen off the cliff. In 1999, the theta-beta ratio was, had an effect size that was able to differentiate ADD from normal at 95 to 98% accuracy. It was replicated in 2001. This data went to the FDA. The FDA approved the Theta-Beta ratio as a diagnostic measure for ADD. However, the effect size has fallen off a cliff. Now the effect size is so low that you can't differentiate ADD from normal with the Theta-Beta ratio. What's happened? This is the original clinical group in the Theta-Beta ratio. This is the original normal group. The, The mean and standard deviation are the little lines here you can see that the standard deviations didn't even touch. So these two curves were easily differentiated, which is what effect size is all about. The mean has gone up in the clinical group, but it's also gone up dramatically in the normal group. At this point, you can't differentiate normal from ADD effectively at all. You have a 50% accuracy. If if I only get a 50% accuracy on a test, just give me a coin, save me the problem of gooping up the hair and the hour or so of recording, I'll flip a coin and give you the same odds. So the theta-beta ratio has ceased to be of any clinical utility. And uh, one uh, uh, parting uh, uh, comment uh, uh, here is basically the EEG itself. This is a spectra, and uh, th- this uh, this spectra is basically a Uh, uh, an EEG spectrum. Uh, Each electrode, we call this a Hollywood squares display. Each electrode's got its own little spot there. Um, And uh, you can see this giant slow feature at CZ. Uh, Must be something wrong at CZ. Well, is there? Let's go back and look at the raw EEG. Um, This EEG is actually somebody who's got a sleep problem, they start out awake with alpha in the back of the head, the nice rhythm, 10 oscillations or so in the back of the head. You can see very nice alpha. Um, it's not really big up front, but as we go into the EEG, the alpha up front starts to be more organized and the alpha at the back start to fall apart. The, <laughs> the early stages of stage one sleep are anteriorizing alpha. Uh, and, 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 a sleep lab doesn't really call that they wait for an alpha dropout and theta to start to happen. This is drowsiness in a sleep lab stage one drowsiness, uh, alpha dropout and theta happening. They woke up again, but they doze back off as we get going in, in this, they'll drop into stage two, stage two is sleep. Stage one sleep is actually just drowsiness. People drive cars in the stage one drowsiness. I wouldn't recommend it, but it happens all the time. Uh, As we go through, this is called a vertex wave. It's not quite what a sleep lab would call a sleep yet. You can see CZ is the vertex. You can see this. In a a sleep lab, they're looking for a vertex sharp wave. Now, in EEG land, our sweep speed isn't the same. This is the little tiny spot. I'm going to switch this to a sleep Lab sweep speed, you can see it's a sharp wave at the vertex. So the, they call it a vertex sharp wave, not because the EG sees it as a sharp wave, but because the sleep lab does. Now, as we go into the EG, this person will fall asleep and make a substantial vertex sharp wave. And when they happen, they're really quite dramatic. You don't have to squint to see them, they reach up and touch someone. And as we go through, you're going to end up seeing a vertex sharp wave there. Vertex sharp wave woke the person up. A vertex sharp wave is a response to a stimulus, usually a sound, which is why it's at the top of your head. And uh, uh, they're they're, uh, basically sounds that will wake you up a bit if you're not fully stabilized with a sleep spindle. If you have a good sleep spindle, you'll stay asleep. Now, uh, they're starting to actually uh, stay asleep fairly well. The alpha's gone, slow stuff is happening. And at, at some point here, uh, we'll end up with a series of vertex waves. Uh, this one, the vertex activity woke them back up. But the uh, the EG here is going to end up staying stably asleep at some point here uh, with a series of, of vertex waves that don't wake them up. Now, uh, you, you can see uh, the, the, the activity here uh, rather dramatically. Now, this is a vertex sharp wave with no re-alerting. They, they, they didn't really wake up after this. So what I'm gonna do is mark where the vertex wave is and we're gonna see if we can see sleep spindles then. A sleep spindle is a stabilizing rhythm. It's the same thing as SMR, same rhythm generator, same location, Uh, it's just that it's during sleep. And it's a stabilizing rhythm during the day as SMR, at night it's a stabilizing of of SMR. I'm gonna switch the display to show SMR. There's the sleep spindle at this time of that vertex wave. A gigantic burst of sleep spindles. You can see a CZ. This is what's keeping the person from waking up. This is a stabilizing rhythm. A vertex sharp wave with a spindle is a K complex. K stands for knock, a sound. Now, you you might think to yourself, well, what the heck is a sound doing up at CZ? I mean, aren't your auditory cortex, uh, the cortices in the temporal parietal junction area? Yeah, they are. This is the midline of the brain. Here's the frontal lobe dipping into the temporal area and the uh, deep in the temporal, this is the location of the, the uh, uh, auditory cortex bilaterally, uh, but it's oriented to vertically project off that cortex. It doesn't project out to the surface. It projects up to the top of the head and uh Electrical recordings of auditory brainstem, auditory event- related responses in babies to see if they're deaf. Uh, they put electrode on CZ. and you think, well, what's, what's the electrode up there for? Well, it's because of the orientation of the pyramidal cells in the, the auditory cortex, they project to the top of the head. So that's why we see the big vertex sharp wave up there, not in the temporal area of the primary vertex uh, primary. Uh, cortical area of auditory perception. So uh, um, the vertex sharp wave ends up indicating uh, the, the individual uh, has dozed off into stage two. Uh, stage three, four, which is slow wave sleep, comes later. Very seldom are you can record that during a 20 or 30 minute study. If you do, the person's got a really, really bad sleep study. If you fall asleep to stage two, before 300 seconds. And you can see the vertex sharp wave that happened at this point is before 300 seconds. We saw some even earlier. So uh, this person needs to go to a sleep lab to find out why they can't stay awake during the day. This is a disorder of excessive sleepiness during the day. We have to rule out restless leg, apnea, uh, as uh, circadian rhythm issues. I mean, the, we have to rule out a treatable sleep disorder. The last thing you want to do is what my business partner, my last business partner, who is, a, we had a sleep lab together. Um, he went to bed without a CPAP on and he passed in his sleep. Uh, it, you know, s- not paying attention to apneas can kill you. So I would recommend when you see somebody who cannot stay awake during the day, that you have to get them to a sleep lab to find out why they're not sleeping at night. If it's an apnea, they have to treat it effectively. Uh, they, they can't ignore it uh, because it can be a fatal mistake. Anyway, uh, uh, Jay, Jay, I, I, Jay, is, this,
2: is this a profile of apnea that you're showing us? What's that? Is, that what is, this a, is this a profile of apnea that you're showing us?
1: No, this is a profile of an inability to stay awake, which yeah, could be right. driven by apnea, could be driven by restless leg, could be driven by circadian rhythm. What, uh, would, could,
2: yeah, what would apnea look like? Do you have an EEG marker for apnea?
1: Well, uh, the EEG isn't going to show the apnea itself. You'd end up having to measure uh, airflow and respiratory attempt. Uh, there's two kinds of apnea generally, central apnea, where the brain is not telling your body to breathe. Mm-hmm. And for that, you have to have a CPAP device, uh, or CPAP or BiPAP or AutoPAP, preferably the BiPAP or AutoPAP, because CPAP is a little bit hard to tolerate for some people. It's a constant airflow. If you've ever been a young kid standing up in the back of a pickup, you know it's hard to breathe with that br- with a breeze in your face because mm-hmm. you have trouble exhaling. Well, CPAP is kind of like that experience for some people. Uh, if you duck behind the cab so you don't have the breeze in your face, then you can exhale and breathe again. But of course, you want to stand up and watch the view. So um, uh, 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 but uh, the, the, the issue in this case is the inability to stay awake, basically, and the inability to stay awake ends up um, uh, being, uh, being the, the big issue during the day. Um, people that have sleep disorders show up during the day. Uh, if you have insomnia and you can't fall asleep well, uh, that doesn't get covered by a sleep lab. If, if you go to a sleep lab saying, doc, I can't, I can't sleep at night, they'll basically tell you to go see your doctor for a sleeping pill. They can't get reimbursed for the study. If you can't stay awake during the day, that's the kind of patient they'd get paid for So, um, and you know, (laughs) if you have insomnia, you'll swear to God, that's a sleep disorder. Uh, It it is disordered sleep, but in a sleep lab, they don't consider a sleep disorder. Uh, it's disordered sleep. And you know, it's it's a fine line, but for the sleep lab, it's whether you get paid for the study or not. So if you're complaining about not being able to fall asleep at night or having trouble falling asleep, uh, they're, they're going to have trouble getting paid for your study. If your complaint is, I can't stay awake during the day, you're, you're, that's their bread and butter. So it's a, it's called DOES, DOES, disorder of excessive sleepiness. And that's what they look for. Now, uh, uh, th- th- this person fell asleep before 300 seconds. Uh, the standard in a sleep lab is a 300 second, five minute. If If you go in and they don't know if they can get reimbursed for you, they may apply and get approved for a screening. Now, the screening, they don't hook up for respiratory airflow or strain gauges or body position or anything. They hook up your EEG that tell you to go lay down and take a nap. Well, if you have insomnia, you say, I can't sleep in a sleep lab, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, but if you have a sleep disorder and you know, somebody points to a spot to lay down and sleep, you go fall over and you're asleep. Um, if you fall asleep on the, and they give you five attempts at a nap in the afternoon, And if you fall asleep on the average faster than five minutes, you've qualified for a sleep study. The insurance company can't deny you the coverage at that point. Uh, So uh, they they get reimbursed.
2: Wow.
1: Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, the the Vertex Sharp Wave is the the big deal in this case. And uh, the Vertex Sharp Wave is this. And it pops up during stage two. Stage three, four is slow wave sleep. That's where your growth hormone is released. Uh, This is a sleep enough so that you're going to progress through to slow wave sleep. If the vertex sharp waves wake you up, you're not going to get the progression. And uh, they'll draw what's called sleep architecture, uh, stage awake, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage REM. Uh, That looks kind of like a skyline. Uh, the, the uh, awake stage one, stage two, stage three, rem back to awake a bit, uh, back to the deeper. And it, it kind of, if you put some windows in here, it kind of look like the skyline. Uh, they, they, this is called sleep architecture and it's a hypnogram. Uh, if you get the hypnogram from the sleep study instead of just the report, you can see all the detail. Uh, of sleep stages and under underneath this, they're going to have little marks when there was movement that might've woke woke you back up. Um, uh, whether there's respiratory problems, you, you quit breathing during slow wave sleep or you quit breathing during stage two. Quite often the respiratory problem happens in stage two because you relax in stage two that collapses the airway and you have apnea obstructive apnea in stage two, uh, REM is a stage that occasionally has uh, um, uh, uh, sleep paralysis and and uh, 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 difficulties with uh, with with sleep during REM can happen as well. Anyway, um, I I don't, you know me. I I, 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 once I get going, it's hard to stop me. So I'm (laughs) I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna turn off my screen sharing and.
0: Like I got nephews now that you know, seventeen years old, sixteen years old, and I look over and he comes over to visit and he just falls asleep on the sofa, just dead to the world, just just like that. And he likes Fortnite, and uh, he's going to be going to college. What uh, what does the brain look like, or what are the how do you address I don't know what the problem is, if if it's the playing the Fortnite, is an addiction to the game, is it not sleeping? All I know is you got a kid, and it's not just him, it's all these teenagers that are just, they'll be on the sofa, and then two seconds later, they're just out like a light. How is that going to affect them going forward? What is that?
1: You know, kids sleep less now than they used to. The theta-beta ratio used to be a good metric. They sleep two hours less per night now on the average than they did in 1999. And a teenager needs more than just these seven, eight hours that you may consider a normal night's sleep. So they're sleep deprived. And if you're sleep deprived, you're going to squeeze a nap in wherever you can. And um, it, it's hard to catch up. If, if you've had disturbed sleep, they suggest that it's going to take as many weeks or months to recover as it has been severely disturbed. So usually I suggest if somebody has had sleep disorder and they're suddenly put on CPAP and they're sleeping well, give them a few weeks worth of sleep before you test to see what the impact is because it takes some time to fully recover from uh, the debt of loss of sleep. Um, uh, uh, Kids need more sleep. And again, there's a discussion now of whether they should delay the onset of a school day because your kid's getting up at six in the morning to get to school by 7.30 or seven or something. And um, they're they're done at three. Um, uh, Shift that to a nine o'clock start time uh, so the kids can actually get a night's sleep. Um, But you need to pay attention to sleep hygiene. Uh, Sleep hygiene is not just taking a shower before you go to bed. You know, uh, uh, you, you have to uh, uh, pick the right time of day. Uh, your room has to be totally dark. You can't have an uh, alarm clock with big red or white letters staring at you. Uh, the light from that is enough to disturb your sleep. Um, uh, there's blackout shades if there's lights outside that illuminate your room. Um, uh, pick the right time. Don't eat late. Watch what you eat. Um, uh, Make sure you're properly hydrated. Um, uh, But there's all sorts of sleep hygiene. Any sleep lab anywhere is going to have an entire list of sleep hygiene tips for people. And contact your sleep lab because you're going to be referring people there at some point. Um, Talk to your sleep lab. uh, Get their screening questionnaires. uh, Get their hints for sleep. Uh, uh, uh hygiene for 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 people and uh, use them as a handout and as an assistance in your referral uh, but you, you should you should know your local neurologist you should know your local sleep lab uh you should know your local psychiatrist um, uh, th- these are all people that would be a wonderful addition to the treatment team uh, to help with any given case and let,
2: um, let me say jay let, let me i'm going i want to reorient you here because i think at least that the population that I am most concerned about, which are traumatized people, the sleep issue is endemic. And it isn't that we can treat the sleep issue without first, right? Like you're suggesting with ADHD. like so get, get the sleep ordered first. Um, when I think that one of the things we see when neurofeedback is robust is that people begin to sleep when they begin to train their brains. Yeah. So we can, we have, there's a cart and a horse issue here. And particularly since we're in this conversation, right? About neurofeedback, what I'm, but there are a couple of things that that uh, that I'd love to have you talk about. I mean, one is that, you know, what is a couple of things. One is what, what traumatized people uh, we'll talk about is nightmares right so that they almost will themselves if this is really how it is uh, to not go to sleep to avoid nightmares right so nightmares are a thing all right the other thing that we that is very common that I've heard you touch on that I'd love to have you speak more to is that without a sleep spindle without that happening you can't drop into deep sleep right you can't and it's not it's not just that i mean i want to understand how we can establish that particularly in daytime training right what's the training recommendation keeping all of these parameters in mind Mm
1: -hmm. well one of the good things is that the sleep spindle is actually well developed as an infant so the frequency of your sleep spindle is set early in life. It's usually stable by age one. Hmm. So uh, it, it's, it's not alpha related. It's SMR, sensory motor rhythm, somewhere around 13 hertz or so. If you look at the sleep literature, uh, sleep spindle is 12 to 14 uh, uh, Barry Sturman's group uh, average was 13 for the uh, for the SMR. They're, it's the same generator. It's the same phenomenon. You can train SMR during the day. Barry observed even in the animals that when you train SMR, the sleep spindle density goes up. So you're literally training the muscle of your brain that can make the sleep spindle. Now it's obviously not a muscle, but you're training the neural network to be able to make
2: that. And is done at CZ, J, C3.
1: Uh, it, C4? It, the, it, it ends up being central, uh, and if you're looking for the SMR effect, CZ or C4 are the spot that you get that best. Uh, um, uh, Andrew Hill got his PhD at UCLA. Uh, in the brain lateralization lab, Aaron Zydel's lab, uh, when Aaron was still around, and uh, he he trained uh, SMR C3, Cz, C4, beta C3, Cz, C4, looking to see the effect of lateralization on the training, and he he validated the clinical observations from the Offmers that SMR is best done either on the right side or the vertex. It's not as you don't get the same effect at C3. Uh, uh, I have to say that if there's a spike focus at C3, that's where you train it. But uh, you're not looking for the uh, kind of parasympathetic uh, stabilization of SMR. You're looking to stop the discharge uh, at C3. But it's trained centrally during the day. At night, the projection pathways for that nucleus open up. uh, And as you could see, when we looked at the sleep spindle, it was generalized maximum at CZ, but it was generalized. During the day, you don't get that generalized distribution. You see it restricted centrally, which is why Barry so, has been uh, so aggressive at seeing this SMR centrally. People say, oh, it's you know, I do CZ to T5 SMR. Well, it's not SMR at T5. It's fast alpha at T5. You get the right <laughs> clinical effect. It's just semantics, but you know, semantics are important in it's, some yeah. respects. And uh, uh,
2: but, but let me just ask you one other thing, just because I will forget otherwise. If this if this um, the original uh, research with epilepsy was that at Cz C3 or C4? Do you know? In,
1: in fact, he worked at C, Cz and C4, but also at C3, depending upon the case. Right. That's um, right uh if, if you go back to uh his his early uh demonstration uh, uh, uh which I happen to have like everything recognize this display uh this this was uh, uh one one of my first meetings in the very early seventies this was the display These are cZ references. So everything's referred to c uh, th- these are the sequential pairs basically and uh the 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 training uh, uh basically this is this is ten hertz alpha towards the back of the head this is the s m r band activity uh, at about 13, 14 hertz or so being uh, trained on the right side It's not so much present on the left you get a little bit up front but this this is basically a c four uh, s m r Uh, that that was trained here. And this is, uh, this is again, a very early uh, uh, case that was uh, worked with Uh, uh, the, the uh, Sturman 2000 uh, as a reference is basically a summary of all the early work uh, from cats on through to uh, being able to treat epilepsy. And um, it, it does a very nice job surveying the literature for SMR. Now it doesn't, uh, delve into slow cortical potential training, which is equally powerful for uh, therapeutics for epilepsy. Uh, this is basically a, a, a tracking down and publishing uh, the, the, the history of the uh, use of SMR for epilepsy. But uh, uh, again, uh, uh, yeah, this is a right-sided uh, uh, central uh, t- uh, temporal finding here. Anyway, um, uh uh, Barry uh, ends up being uh, very adamant uh, that you call it SMR centrally um, because it's during the day. If it's a sleep spindle, you don't have to be quite so restricted in where you see it um, at night. But uh, again, during the day, uh, well, Barry's not well enough to go hunt you down anymore, but I'll help <laughs> him, you know, <laughs> if you call it well, SMR me- somewhere else, i Uh, I'll I'll be Barry's uh, henchman and uh, come out and straighten you out.
2: So so let me ask you this. So we have a a traumatized person, Uh, very over-aroused, very reactive, uh, fear-driven, and um, they don't sleep. Uh, They can have any number of these problems, but it's really the the people that are going to not go into the sleep lab because they don't fall asleep right okay so um uh the if you if i were to train them at c4 at 12 15 hertz that would raise their arousal 90 percent of the time right but well, it would okay. be the thing that would seem to be appropriate for the sleep problem right so so your thoughts
1: The insomnia itself has generally got a beta spindle at CZ, uh, very uh, tightly restricted to the CZ area. And um, uh, let me uh, pull up a paper
2: on that. So you're speaking about 12 to 14 at CZ is what you would consider. I know I'm not being specific, right? I was just trying to get an idea of where... uh, Because that would be less arousing. As soon as you move off the right, it's less arousing.
1: Let me me pop up the uh, paper that we did. Uh, This is a research domain criteria paper with 390-something, if I recall, 380-something maybe, uh, uh, people in it. Uh, This is the large group. Um, the, the uh, bottom uh, figures here are a subset of this overall group that didn't have a DSM categorization. It was just anybody with sleep spindles. This is the ADD, ADHD subset of, I don't know, 30, 40 uh, people out of this overall subset. Uh, so it, it's not a different pattern uh, from one DSM categorization to the other beta spindles are beta spindles that are seen centrally we generally try to uh, uh, get them treated uh, at, at the vertex. And uh, uh, the, this, this is uh, the, uh, essentially the hotspot. Um, uh, if you-
2: That looks like FZ. Okay.
1: Well, that's the screwy uh, images from uh, brain resource company. Um, uh, the, the, this, this is FC and uh, FCCZ area basically. And uh, what we end up basically seeing is that spindle is the the underlying uh, wakefulness drive. Uh, Orexin. uh, You say, well, what's what's wakefulness caused by? What neurotransmitter is that? Norepinephrine or dopamine? Uh, The wakefulness drive is at the brainstem uh, hypothalamus level. It's orexin. Uh, Orexin is your wakefulness drive. You have a Sleep drive and awake drive, and uh, as the wake drive fades away, uh, you'll be able to fall asleep. Well, this is the wakefulness drive, and some people it's extremely powerful, and uh, their their sleep drive has trouble overpowering it. But it's at the midline, uh, not to either side. Now SMR on the right side is good for physical stabilization. But for sleep, the vertex is really the, the, the hot spot that you need to catch with it. And uh the, the sleep spindle is what you're training. So that as they're starting
2: to fall asleep and a vertex sharp wave happens, the onset
1: insomnia is treated effectively, as is wakefulness. During the night, you cycle back through stage two, vertex wave popped you back awake, unless you have a good sleep spindle. So training SMR at the vertex gets you a good sleep spindle, and it treats the uh, 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 treats the sleep disorder. Now, um, uh, the same feature was looked at in another study, but they restricted the DSM categorization and, and had uh, ADD as a substantial piece of the group that this wasn't an open any diagnostic category that had beta spindle they pulled beta spindle from a couple of specific groups Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: uh, what they basically found is that uh, impulse control and hyperactive behaviors were what they found because again they they picked primarily the add population we found insomnia hyperactivity impulsivity as the three but insomnia was by far the stronger if you looked across all categories. Mm. So uh, they, they picked up impulse control and, and hyperactivity uh, in their uh, somewhat of a replication of what we had done. Uh, but spindling excess beta ends up being a, a, a major feature that cuts across diagnostic categories. And uh, again, impulsivity, hyperactivity, but also insomnia.
2: okay okay and um okay so theoretically then you could train arousal that's if you're just staying on the central strip you train arousal as needed right what people felt yeah. comrade at, at c4 but you treat this the sleep spindle that uh, or that contribution to insomnia over arousal obviously makes a contribution to yeah. insomnia too uh, at 12 to 14. If you can't, if you can't get that to organize through quiet and arousal, you might look at the vertex, uh, and train 12 to 14 Hertz.
1: Yeah. Now SMR originally was identified as 11 to 19 with the group average at 13. If you have a high arousal level mm-hmm. and uh, when you're very, very young, your sleep spindle is set. It may be set slightly faster or slightly slower. Um, Uh, Barry and David Kaiser worked with an autistic kid and they did a single session of SMR and the kid, it's like lighting his tail on fire. I mean, absolutely beta (laughs) training behavior uh, at the outcome of the session. And they thought, well, maybe his SMR is not 12 to 15, like everybody's filters are set. And Barry said, well, you know, how, how are we going to know? Well, Let's record him until he goes asleep, and at that point we can count the frequencies of his sleep spindle, which are your SMR. So uh, if I had a video of it, I'd love it. You know, Barry and and David Kaiser singing lullabies to a little baby uh, <laughs> un- until he fell asleep. Um, It'll it'd go it would go over really big as a video,
2: yeah, but um,
1: they they found his SMR was about ten outside the range that Barry had observed in relatively normal people. Uh, But this was an autistic kid with a, his sleep spindle was not in the 12 to 15 range. So if you don't get an SMR effect out of the SMR training, you may want to try to get a sleep recording on a client. It's not always easy to do if they don't fall asleep easily. So, uh, but you know, maybe... You can follow Barry's uh, uh uh advice and sing lullabies. Actually Barry was Barry sang. Uh, uh he, he, he's been in barbershop quartets and things like that. He he was actually a pretty good singer. So
2: right. He might do better at that than I. Okay, well, he'd I, be better at it know, than I for sure. Okay, so. Right. so 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 let's just talk about how all of this um Uh, sleep disturbance uh, relates to dreams and nightmares and what your thoughts are about that, because that's obviously such a common problem for my population.
1: Yeah. If you have issues that aren't resolved, they're going to keep coming back as repetitive dreaming uh, until you actually deal with the content. One of the good things about alpha theta training is that the alpha-theta training gives you access to the unconscious, preconscious material with alpha still present. So you can now deal with the unconscious material with your adult awareness. If it's in your REM sleep and you wake up, you have a vague sense that there was something, you may have some uh, crude recollection of some image from the dream, But a lot of times dreams are parceled away from our conscious awareness. You wake up remembering that you were dreaming, but no real depth of understanding of what the content of the dream was. Um, The REM sleep is processing of material from the day. If you haven't got it all processed, it will keep coming back trying to get processed. And if it's disturbing enough for you and it wakes you up so you're not kind of finishing the process, um, it it, it disturbs things. Now, night terrors are a form of a sleep disturbance. It's not uncommon. Um, uh, There there are uh, aberrant forms of dreaming uh, where people don't actually shut off their movements. And for some people, that shutting off of their movements doesn't turn off when they wake up and they have a brief sleep paralysis, which is terrifying usually for people. I mean, you wake up and can't move that, you know, (laughs) where where did all that motor control go? Um, So, uh, but your normal sleep turns off your movement so that you don't beat up your bed partner if you've got one and um, uh, or or punch yourself in the face for that matter. So uh, uh, the, the thrashing that happens during dreams is an aberrant form of dreaming. Uh,
2: I would also just say here that the day day residue is one one way of looking at dreams, but the dreams that most of my patients have suffered, or the nightmares that they suffered, aren't having to do with day residue. And I think it's more to the alpha theta notion that we are carrying information forever, that everything in a way that we've ever experienced, and perhaps even that are ancestors have experienced this memory it's in us in some way and that can come out in dreams Yeah. Um, and as we lower arousals generally speaking the sleep will kick in what I'm looking at are the and that's what I'm asking you about specifically is the people where when you lower arousal um, the, in, in other ways either the, the nightmares persist or the insomnia persists or Yeah, and those can be separate issues. Those can be the, the, uh, it can be contiguous issues, you know. So, 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 um, uh, have you ever seen, I know we're running out of time, but have you ever seen uh, uh, REM sleep that's representing uh, nightmares compared to REM sleep that is dreaming, typical dreaming?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And there's also, picture of that. In younger people that have night terrors and parasomnias uh, like sleepwalking, sleep talking, disturbed mm-hmm. patterns in sleep, uh, there's actually a an EG pattern that predicts that. It's not a one-to-one. You can't guarantee that they're having it. But when you when you ask about sleep, you usually end up finding that there's a sleep issue. Hypnogochic hypersinchnite. Uh, during the drowsy state, you get gigantic, super rhythmic slow waves. And it's a normal variant. There's nothing abnormal about it diagnostically. The neurology won't get excited about a hypnagogic hypersynchrony. But when you see it, you pretty well predict that they've got night terrors, uh, sleepwalking, sleep talking, uh, uh, bedwetting. I mean, there, there, there's some nocturnal sleep disturbance going on uh, when you see that. And uh, it's, it's predictive at a high enough rate uh, that. Uh, when i see it it's usually accurate to say there's a sleep issue isn't there and they go oh yeah you know uh uh, uh, uh maybe 10 percent of the time you say there's a sleep issue and they said oh well, not really you know so it, it, it's it's a high enough percentage that uh it 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 gives me the confidence that there's likely a sleep issue i should ask about it uh, as opposed to just being a normal variant that you ignore you know um but EEG is full of things that have been declared normal variants that aren't really normal. So, uh, so,
2: so if you were looking at a difference between uh, a dream and a nightmare, what would the EEG, would there be an EEG signature to that? And what would it look like?
1: Well, one thing about REM is that it looks very much like awakened state EEG, only w- without consciousness. And, mm-hmm. um, uh the, there are some that try to remain conscious during dreaming uh, it's it's something that you can learn to do mm-hmm. um, lucid, uh, dream. l- lucid dreaming, which is Carl Priram's topic that was picked up in lectures by Leberge uh, Stephen who, who uh, mm-hmm. kind of popularized the uh, idea of it. They have masks that you can wear that will flash a little light when they detect rapid eye movement. And if you're dreaming and you see a little flashing light, it's supposed to uh, flag you that you should be aware that you're dreaming. So there, there's uh, uh, lucid dreaming training things as well. But um, it, it's not easy to see content. It's easy to see state. Yeah. and uh, that uh, We can spot the state of dreaming. We can't spot is this a green eyed monster oh, or is, course, this, a, of course, of or is this a placid lake? You know, I, the, the, we, 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 we can't delve into the content from the surface EEG, um, right. uh, unfortunately. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to uh, I, no, kind
2: no, of I don't delve think that delve stuff that out. Does. I think there's certain things that we have to keep private and our dreams are probably one of those that we get to have to ourselves.
1: Well, l- luckily, uh, they, they contain a lot of crazy stuff, uh, quite honestly.
0: The, um... Okay, that was our episode on sleep. And if you want to help others learn about sleep, there's three things our listeners and viewers can do to help spread the word of neurofeedback. Number one, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you like the video, like I know you like this one, please hit like and then click the little bell so you get updated on our new podcasts that come out. Number two, give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Give us five stars like on Apple Podcasts. And number three, if you have the means, please support us on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. There are different levels in which you can support, whether you're a mom or dad or a clinician. There's even an option where you can have your own Q&A with Jake Gunkelman. I'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. We have Mary Tracy out there. Her Neurotrading Strategies offers the higher standard of EEG, QEG education to EEG clinicians, technicians, and neurofeedback practitioners with convenient online BCIA and QEEG certified didactic courses. We love our Patreon peeps, don't we, Jay?
1: Absolutely. Where do they get this kind of coverage? For those cheap Uh-oh. prices.
0: <laughs> and they're going fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a <bad> hey. <laughs> we Some thank you all not. that that's right mm-hmm. we thank you all for listening cue the music